You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. All right, very good. So follow along with us. We are looking at questions 45 through 48 this morning. Um, but we are coming to the first commandment. And um, we were talking, I don't know, actually at this point, maybe years ago, what we want to do in Sunday school. And we're throwing out some ideas. Well, Ten Commandments is an important thing to kind of go through. Um, uh, Some other things are important things to go through. And they said, well, let's do the catechism because it has the Ten Commandments built in. It has the Lord's Prayer built in. Because for uh, the Christian history tradition, we've always, since the early church, they've had three main discipleship tools for Christians. All Christians learned the Lord's Prayer, helped them know how to pray. They've all learned the Apostles' Creed to know what to believe. And they've all learned the Ten Commandments to know how do I live. So these are the three main teaching tools that the church has used since the very beginning. We have records of this very early in the church that they catechized and taught every member these three things. So if you, uh, if you don't have these three things memorized, that's a great place to start. Memorize the Ten Commandments. Um, It's not that hard. We teach our kids to do it. So if you don't know it yet, now's a great time to do it as we're going through the Ten Commandments. Um, The Lord's Prayer, wonderful, uh, wonderful tool to help us know how to pray. And we'll get to that later in the Catechism. And then the the Apostles' Creed, doctrine. What is it that we believe about God? And we've kind of gone through that um, through the first 37, 36 questions of the Catechism. It's going through those basics of who God is and what it is that we believe. So, we're kind of hitting it here in the catechism um, and it's all in one. So that's another reason why the catechism is so wonderful, why we should teach it to our children, why we should study and even meditate upon it because it's so biblical and rich. And it's the, it incorporates all of these wonderful uh, Christian discipleship tools. And Pastor Wright's done a couple weeks even of, of preliminary work before we get to the Ten Commandments themselves. But I wanna highlight just a few things um, before we get to the text uh, to set the table a little bit. Um, and the first one is no pun intended, there are two tables of the law. Uh, You often hear that there's two tables or two tablets upon which the law was written. And we see this in Exodus 31, um, where the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone were written with the finger of God. And we see later in Deuteronomy, it expressly calls these the 10 commandments written on two tablets by God. And so the 10 commandments, often we speak of having two tables or two tablets. And historically, Christians have often thought, well, that means half of them were on one tablet, the other half was on the other tablet. But we understand now, actually, in the ancient Near East, there's a tradition uh, about this time of treaties being written. And all the treaty document was written on two tablets of stone, and each party took one home with them to remind themselves of the covenant that was made. And so now what we understand is it's not like half of it was written on one tablet, half of it was written on the other. The entire Ten Commandments were written on both tablets of stone. And one was for God and one was for Israel. And of course, God didn't take one with them. So both of them went with Israel and were kept in the Ark of the Covenant to remind Israel of their covenant with God. But we still use that language of the two tables of the law. And the first table is commandments one through four. And it speaks of God, our duties uh, towards God. And the second table is commandments six through 10. And it's our duties to man. So the first four speak of God and particularly uh, of worship. 
And that's the most narrow application, it has broader applications. And then the uh, second table speaks of how we relate to other people. So we're diving into the first commandment today, but it's in the context of this first table, even though it wasn't technically just written on one tablet, all of it was written on this tablet. Uh, but we're looking at the first table, our duties to God. All right, let's see. So let's, um, oh, oh another, another point I just want to reiterate is that all of this is in the context of that preliminary preamble that Pastor Wright spoke of last week, that he taught on last week. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And in this context, then God gives Israel direction for how to live. But we remember now Israel is in the context of redemption. They have been redeemed. They have been brought out of Egypt. They have been, this is their God. They are his people, and now that they've been redeemed from slavery and bondage and sin, now they're called to obey. So this reminds us that the law here given for believers is to help us obey in the context of redemption. So the law, as we're looking at it today, is a guide for us, and we should come with the attitude of, I want to obey the Lord. How do I do that? And we're trying to dive deeply in to help us understand how we can obey, how we can glorify God. This isn't to earn our salvation. This isn't uh, to get points with God. This is to know how to glorify him already in the context of redemption itself. But it also, for us, as we read this, we realize our own fallenness, right? We're gonna read some of the, the details and the particulars of the first commandment here. And we're gonna realize, wow, I am a sinner. And it drives us back to Christ over and over that we are saved not based on our merit, not based on our work, but it's Christ who fulfilled the first commandment, who kept it perfectly on our behalf. And so now we can look at this commandment with the righteousness of Christ, robed with the righteousness of Christ, enabled by the Spirit now to seek obedience, not to earn it, but in light of the redemption that is ours in Christ. So we need to set the context properly. We're not saying this to beat us over the heads and say, you must do better to earn your salvation or you're not a real Christian if you don't keep all of this in every single way possible because we all will fall. That doesn't justify sin or excuse sin, but we will not be perfect. But we set our eyes on perfection and desire to glorify God. And so we come with this attitude of desiring to obey. We want to know how to love God. And the catechism, we're getting to it, I promise. The catechism splits each of the commandments into two parts. It says, what is this commandment forbidding, but also what is this commandment requiring? What is it calling us to do? It's not just don't do something, but the inverse of the don't do is also true. Because we see all of scripture explaining these commandments, giving us other examples of this commandment. And it's not just don't do something, but it's a positive um, command as well. So um, we'll talk more about that as we look into, uh, into the uh, catechism itself. But we see all of scripture is informing our exposition of these commandments. Okay, I'll pause there. That's a lot. Um, I'll pause there before we dive into the, the text of the commandment and the, the catechism itself. Any comments, questions, preliminary matters? All right, very good. Well, let's go to question 45. Question 45. If you have your catechisms, turn there um, on your phone, your, hand, or your hard copy. Question 45, which is the first commandment? The first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
you're memorizing the commandments or memorizing the, uh, the catechism, these are the great questions that you get. You're like, yes, I can do this one. What is the first commandment? First commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. We'll stop there for a moment. Um, I think the text is rather clear. We'll come to this before me in just a second, the, the last two words before me. But I think the text is rather clear. And one thing it's helpful for us to do is think about Israel, when they first received this at the foot of Mount Sinai, what maybe was in their mind as they received this law? And you remember Israel, they had just come out of Egypt. They had just come out of a land that had many gods that even Pharaoh himself was considered a god, right? And so when God told them, told them you shall have no other gods before me, what he's telling them is all these other gods that you've been exposed to your whole life, they're nothing. They're not worthy of worship. They're not to be praised. They're reorienting them. Who do I worship? Who do you worship as a people? It's me, Yahweh, and me alone. So he's reorienting them and reminding them all the gods of which they heard in Egypt are not gods. They're not true gods. They're not to be worshiped. And we see even um, in the whole Exodus account, God's plagues upon Is on Egypt before Israel came out of, of slavery, all of the plagues were attacking the Egyptian gods. All of them were showing Egypt how God is greater than Yahweh, is greater than all of their so-called gods, and even would kill the firstborn of Pharaoh, who was God himself. His firstborn son was, would die because Yahweh is more powerful, demonstrating Pharaoh is not the God that you think he is. All these other gods of the sun and, and uh, the animals and the water, none of these things are gods. You cannot worship them because they are not, they're impotent, they're powerless. And even when we go back to Genesis 1 and 2 um, and the creation account we have in, in, uh, early on in Scripture, Moses wrote those with this context as well. And so we even see in the creation account these polemics, these attacks on these other gods in the way that it unfolds. It's pretty, pretty amazing. We'll talk about that another time. But this is an attack on Egyptian gods. And God is reminding them over and over and over, I am the true God. Do not fall for any others. Um, so let's talk about this question before me. And actually, we're gonna jump over to question 48 because 48 um, gets this head on. There's a, there is a lot of confusion. What does this mean before me at the end of it? You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, here's question 48. Uh, what are we especially taught by these words before me in the first commandment? These words before me in the first commandment teach us that God who seeth all things taketh notice of and is much displeased with the sin of having any other God. Well, that ex explanation may not make a whole lot of sense because it's based on um, a different, uh, it's based on um, understanding the words before me in a particular way. In the Hebrew, before me is literally uh, in front of my face. You shall have no other gods in front of my face, in my presence. Um, you shall have no other gods in front of me, before my face. It has nothing to do with uh, like a line. You know, God just has to be first in line of all your gods and you can have other gods behind God. It has nothing to do with that, although often we read it like that, especially children might read it with that uh, mindset. It means, no, God sees all and you can have no other gods because God sees them. God knows that you would have other gods. I love the Tyndale translation of the Bible. Um, it says, I don't know why other English translations haven't picked up on this, uh, but for Exodus 20, 20, verse three, thou shalt have none other gods in my sight. I think that's a better, better way in the vernacular to capture it. Don't have any other gods in my sight because I see all. I know your heart and what you worship. And the point is this, that God is there. He's watching and adulterating yourself with another God or another ultimate thing is adulterating yourself in the view of the one living and true God. 
And so God sees our heart. He knows what you prioritize, how you order your life, and there's no other God you can have but Yahweh. And so the first commandment immediately brings us into these questions of ultimate matters. Who do I worship? What do I love? What propels me? What do I serve? Who do I worship? Again, these first four commandments, the first table of the law, speak of worship, right? First one, who do I worship? The second one uh, is how do I worship? The third is the sincerity of worship. And the fourth one is when do I worship? So it's getting at all these facets and aspects of worship and also have showing other application throughout our lives. So um, there's the text of the commandment and some of the background. Um, I'll pause there for, for comments. Yeah, Jim. Right, right. It's a very interesting passage. They don't just say, say a positive acknowledgement that there are other gods, whereas God would say, there is no God. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. And actually, some translations take that because there's a little bit of an ambiguity there in some of the Hebrew. And some translations will say, you shall have no other gods except me. Um, and they'll see that um, as, as kind of implication of what that in my face, before my face, in my presence means. Um, the part of the issue here too is the word, you shall have no other gods. It's the word Elohim in Hebrew. And you've probably heard this because this is one of the words used for God himself. The true God is Elohim throughout scripture. And it's actually also a word used in scripture to speak of angels, to speak of kings, to speak of all kinds of other things that are not God and people understand it's not truly God. These are just powerful people or things, angels. Uh, I can't remember if I said that. So, um, that word Elohim has a broader range than just the one true and living God. And so it can't. it is appropriate to have an Elohim king. Um, if you understand, that's not Elohim as in the real Yahweh Elohim. Uh, so there is, that might be why that language uh, Elohim has some um, uh, flexibility to it uh, in context. So that might be why it doesn't say accept him. Um, because there is a, a real sense, you know, kings are, are to be honored, um, but we don't worship them the same way we worship the true God. Just to clarify, because I was looking through this a little while ago, and somebody did a helpful illustration of this one. It was an admiral and a deckhand for both sailors. Right. Or a boatman and a sailor. But they're two very different things. Yeah. You're like, mom, you have a mom. You refer to her as mom. It's her name, mm-hmm. but those are categories. Right. That's very good. Both That's good. Yeah. So I like that. Right. Yeah. yeah, very good. Yeah, great point. That's helpful. Thank you, Jim. All right, anything else before we go to the catechism's exposition here? All right, well, yeah. Well, one more thing. Is this where we get the concept of foreigneo and living before the face of God? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say this is where we get it, but it's reflecting there. Um, the fact that God sees all. We're living before the face of God and the presence of God our entire lives. Our hearts, our affections, our desires are before the presence of God. And it's that reminder to us, um, as the explanation says, it's a reminder to us that God sees all and it's to remind us that, hey, let's live your life because God's watching. Not in a fearful way, but remember, we're not these autonomous creatures just running around doing whatever we want. We're living in the presence of the almighty, true, and living God. Yeah, great, great point there. All right, let's go to question 46. And you see here, 46 and 47, Um, are speaking of the requirements. So 46 is what's required and 47 is what is forbidden. So we'll go to the required part first um, as the catechism does. So 46, what is, or sorry, yeah, 46, what is required in the first commandment? 
The first commandment requireth us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God and to worship and glorify him accordingly. So the first commandment, and it's even hard sometimes what it requires. Well, one of the first things I wrote down, it requires no atheism, right? So it's actually what it prohibits. It prohibits atheism, but it requires no atheism. It requires an acknowledgement of true God. We must obey him. We must acknowledge and know him. And it demands our worship. That true God, when we know him as he truly is, it demands us to worship him. There's no other proper response to him than to worship him. So we must worship. This is for all people at all times are called to worship and to glorify him only. And we say, well, does the world know God, right? Do unbelievers really know God? How, what is this, how does this relate to unbelievers? What does this mean for them? And Paul says this command clearly applies to non-believers as well. He says in Romans 1, 21, uh, this, it's a long passage speaking of unbelievers and, and how they know God, they know the law. Romans 1, 21 says this, for although they, unrighteous people, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So they did know him, but they refuse to acknowledge him and honor him. And in our sin, this is what we do as well. We, we know him because there's no way we can be created in his image and not know that there is a God, but we suppress the truth and unrighteousness until our hearts are made new and then we can truly acknowledge and we can truly obey this commandment. So the... So this is a very short statement. Um, and so the question comes up, how, what is the proper way to worship and glorify him, right? So the, it says we, to worship and glorify him accordingly, right? He's the true God and he's our God, so let's worship him accordingly. I think we could probably come up with some good statements of what that is, but uh, I'll direct you to the larger catechism, which goes and chronicles this in, in incredible uh, specificity. Um, it does an incredible job of showing us what this means on the ground level. So I want to walk through, I know this isn't an exposition of the larger catechism, but this morning uh, it a little bit is. Um, I want to look through the larger catechism, question 104. You can pull this up if you have it on electronic form. Um, it might help you. But I want to, uh, I want to just review a few of the things that it says here. Uh, it starts off, um, I'm, put, I'm, I'm arranging it here logically by putting in these subpoints to help us look at it, um, because it's not written that way if you look at it in a larger catechism. Um, but this will help us conceptually see what's going on. The duties required in the first commandment are the knowing and acknowledging of God to be the only true God and our God, and to worship and glorify him accordingly. So it's basically, word for concept for concept, the same as the shorter catechism. But at the end it says, by. So it's going to show us all the ways to worship and glorify him accordingly. And let's go, I'm gonna read, read these as we go through them. By thinking, meditating, remembering, highly esteeming and honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, and fearing of him. So God himself is the object of our uh, adoration, of our love, meditating on him, thinking on him, choosing him, object of our love even. God himself is the object of all of these things. It goes on. Believing him. So when he speaks, listening and believing him and trusting him, taking him at his word. Trusting, hoping, delighting, rejoicing in him. So now we're not just believing his words, but we're trusting him himself. We're trusting God for he is trustworthy. And we're hoping and delighting in him. 
Not just him at a distance rejoicing, but we're rejoicing in who he is and delighting in who he is. Being zealous for him. Being zealous for God. Having a passion that that propels us to act accordingly. Calling upon him. Giving all thanks and praise and thanks and yielding all obedience and submission to him with the whole man. So our whole person is now called here to do everything in obedience to him. So we see when we break any commandment, we're actually also breaking the first commandment because we're no longer honoring the true God. We're no longer worshiping the true God. We now have another God that we're pursuing other than him. So our whole person is called to yield all obedience and submission and to praise him and to thanks him, give thanks to him. Being careful in all things to please him and sorrowful when in anything he is offended. So we want to please him. We want to honor him. We want everyone, the world to please him. And so it actually propels us to be sorrowful when we see others rejecting God. The first commandment calls us and when we see people in unbelief to express sorrow over that. When people profane God's name, we are zealous for God's name and we despise that and we even hate that sin. There's anger, a righteous anger, when God is offended and we walk humbly with him. So the whole course of our life is lived in humility in his presence, quorum Deo, in the presence of God. So there's a lot there. What strikes you on this list? Is this what you would expect it to be, Eric? Yeah, yeah, no. Right, no, that's a great question. So there's one divine essence. So it's right to say God is one. There's one divine essence. Um, and that one divine essence is who we worship and honor and glorify. Now that one divine essence subsists in three persons. Now we're getting into a Trinitarian lesson over here. Um, we won't go too far down this route. But when we worship God, we are worshiping the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When we worship the Son... We are worshiping the Father and the Holy Spirit as well. When we're worshiping the Father, we're worshiping the Son and the Holy Spirit. When we're worshiping the Holy Spirit, we're worshiping the Father and the Son. There's no way in which we can worship one person without worshiping the others. Because when we worship Christ, we're worshiping the Father and the Spirit as well. Not because three persons are one person. Three persons share that one divine essence. Now the question is, okay, in the Old Testament, what did Israel understand of this? Well, they, they understood there's one God and we serve one God. Did they understand the persons of the Trinity? We have hints of it throughout the Old Testament, but it's not as clearly revealed to them as it is to us. And so um, did they understand? Not to the same degree we did, but they understood there is one true divine essence and he is who we worship. Um, is, is that getting at it? We'll, we'll get actually, um, one of the, the things that the first commandment prohibits are false opinions of God. And so um, we can't believe God wrongly. We must believe the correct and right and true God. And so part of that is understanding who God is as Trinity. Uh, if we don't understand God as Trinity, we're disobeying the first commandment because that's how he's revealed, that's who he's shown us, shown, shown himself to be to us. 
So we must believe God is triune or else we're violating the first commandment. Is that, you push back other follow-ups there? Okay, that's, okay, scratching an itch. Uh, yeah, let's go to Rob and then the other Rob. <laughs> Who is God? That's right. Um, what strikes me is the you know, that classical definition of faith is sort of, you know the ascent and then you know trust and that's then, right. you know then acting on that is that's those all, same elements overlap on that's right. It's all there. Um, which kind of reminds me in the, like in the New Testament when they talk about you know obeying God. It's like okay, well the first thing you can do to obey is to this first commandment. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And you can't obey any of the commandments without obeying this one. This one is the bedrock. This has to start here. And if you disobey anyone, you violated this one as well. So this is the ultimate orientation of our heart and our desires and our being towards God. Rob? That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, so God, God is a spirit, does not have a body like man. That's how the, the children's catechism goes, right? Um, so um, two things there. Uh, God is not human. Sounds like a heresy, right? So the essence of God, what is God? God is a spirit, which means God is immaterial. God is not a, a material thing. God is a spirit, does, and uh, so the children's catechism, and does not have a body like man. So it's helping little children understand God doesn't have bodies like us. God's not walking around the way we are. Um, then the shorter catechism says, what is God? God is the spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, might, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Explaining that essence with glory of that essence of who God is. Did I get it right? Did I get all the, okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> explaining this glorious essence of the, who God is. And then the shorter catechism goes into, okay, what are, are there, um, what are the persons of the Trinity? It goes into that to explain this one divine essence in three persons. Um, and so we would say, God does not have a body. G- the second person of the Trinity has taken upon himself a human body, but God is not a body. God has now taken upon himself human flesh, but God is not a body. But we, the person of Jesus Christ walking around, that is God, but not because God is stuck in a body, but because God has united himself to that body, particularly forever. Um, so that, that might be a start to talk to the kids or t- send them to Pastor Ray. <laughs> All right, let's go to, oh, yeah. So the Bible says Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. That, like, metaphor. Yeah, that's right. This is an anthropocentrism. No, anthropomorphism, sorry. Anthropomorphism, where we're just taking some human characteristic, ascribing it to God. Uh, talks about God having a strong arm or the mouth of God, you know, things like that. It's using a term we understand to help us in an abstract sense, understand God. Um, God doesn't have a, a right hand. The right hand is a, I don't even know if it technically was actually at somebody's right hand. It just means the seat of power and authority and dignity. Um, and so, no, we don't say God actually has a right hand, um, but Christ is in the position of authority and honor there. Jason, go back that one slide and maybe it's just what I'm listening to is 
make all of that something you can embrace. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right. That's right. It's it's because of the vastness of the essence of mm -hmm. God in those in each person mm -hmm. that that all <clears throat> makes sense. It's, yeah. It's, it's accomplishable. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it does. There's a there's a huge a, a lot of depth there to what you're saying, um, and I think it's exactly right. I think that's that's very good. Very good. All right, let's go to these prohibitions. What does the first commandment prohibit? And we'll start with uh, question 47. Um, what is forbidden in the first commandment? The first commandment forbiddeth the denying or not worshiping and glorifying of the true God as God and our God and the giving of that worship and glory to any other which is due to him alone. So conceptually, it's tracking with the, the, what's, what's required here. Worship and glory. We're to worship and glorify him. Um, he is the true, uh, true God and our God. And so we can still recognize that. It also prohibits, even if we recognize that, giving any right worship that's due to him to something else. So we can even on one hand say, yes, God is true and right, and I'm going to worship and glorify him. But we can subvert that by worshiping something else, even unintentionally. So it's getting at both of these, kind of uh, explicit glorifying, worshiping other gods, or even implicitly t redirecting worship that's due to the true God to other things. Um, and that's a great start. Uh, what do I want to do here? Okay, so here's what I want to do, though. Um, before I go into the larger catechism, I'd love to, to hear a, for, for a minute or two ideas that you think, what else is actually prohibited by the first commandment? What is it saying implicitly? We see all, all scripture coming together to help us see this. What other things would you say are prohibited here? Yes, that's right. Exactly right. Very good. Very good. What else? Simply not worshiping. Not worshiping. That's right. Very good. That's right. Witchcraft, superstition. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Witchcraft, superstition, Satanism. Yeah. I'm just repeating for others. Astrology. Astrology. That's right. Exactly. It's exactly right. Any others? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Because mm -hmm. it's that you're not explicitly recognizing another God. Some some are actually materialists are explicitly recognizing another God. Uh, some of them are, but you're redirecting that worship to the true God to something else. That trust in another God to something else, or to, in the true God to something else. Insincerity. Absolutely. There are many whose actions don't support. Yes. Very good. Very good. Pride. Good. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Any others? I saw one or two more hands after this. Yeah. That's right. That's right. 
That's right. Absolutely. Even the NFL. Even the NFL. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Any others? Y'all, y'all, y'all are doing a great job here. Y'all could, like, we could write a new Redeemer Catechism and y'all would, like, y'all would nail it. This is great. Um, yeah, I want to I I go through this larger catechism and, and show us how it's doing exactly what y'all are doing, getting us to even the root of who we are and what we, what we desire and what drives us and what we do. It's all rooted in this ultimate reality. Are we oriented toward the God of heaven and earth to worship and desire and love him, or are we oriented elsewhere? And all these, these prohibitions are, are um, humbling, but it's also helpful for us to say, how do we fix our eyes on the true God? So I'm gonna read through these. I've got a couple things bolded and underlined that maybe we'll stop at. Um, first is atheism and denying or not having a God. Second is idolatry and having or worshiping more gods than one or, with, or any with or instead of the true God. So any other gods you make up. Not, uh, the not having and avouching him for God and our God. The omission or neglect of anything due to him required in this commandment. They'll all say that. That's one of the things prohibited is not doing that which is required. Ignorance, forgetfulness, misapprehensions, false opinions, unworthy and wicked thoughts of him. Right? It's, it's wrong. It's a violation of the first commandment even to have bad theology. Hopefully, maybe that will propel us a little bit to, to study and, and learn who God is. Not just because we feel like we're, we're doing something terrible and, and we're having, we're, but, but when we come to know the true God, how life-giving is that? How wonderful is that? So let's know him rightly. Bold and curious, searching into his secrets. This is good. There's Deuteronomy, what, 20? Right? The secret things belong to the Lord. There are secret things that we are not to pry into. God has not revealed them to us. You can, that's right. 90 minutes in heaven or whatever. Yes, you can. But no, you violate the first commandment. Uh, there's, there's a few pages of this. Uh, more, more sins forbidden. All profaneness, hatred of God, self-love. Well, we're getting on, on these things a lot in our, in our um, uh, conversation a few minutes ago. Self-love, self-seeking, all other inordinate an immoderate setting of our mind, will, or affection upon the other things, even the NFL, and taking them off from him in whole or in part. Thanks, Ray, for that one. Upon any other things, right? Taking them off of him in whole or in part. This one's huge, and we do well to meditate on this and think about this in our own lives. What am I, or what do I have inordinate or immoderate loves for? That's right. It's not for God's. That's right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Because this is what we were created to do. And everything works right, works better when you use the operating manual, right? This is, this is what we were supposed to do, is worship and honor God. And this is good for us in every way when this is what we do. Rob? Remember the context as this comes in. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, go do this. This isn't, go do this, therefore I might decide to save you later. This is, Jesus Christ has died for you. He has fulfilled the first commandment. You can never keep, right? You're right. 
you know, you put out a, a calendar and, and list all of these and check the boxes, the ones you, you break every day, all of these would be broken on all of us every day, right? And that's not what this is about. This is about what Christ has done for you and now calling us to say, hey, let's glorify God together by honoring him. No, we're not gonna do this perfectly. We set our eyes on perfection. Like we said earlier, we want to. We, we set our mind to it. But this points us back to our need for Christ and what Christ has done for you. We can't come to, here, come to this th- having some self-righteousness of our own thinking, I can do it or I've done it. This should humble us and glorify Christ all the more. Amazing. Amazing. That's right. I've, I've, this is a great, great habit to do. What you just did is read these commandments and say, this is heaven. This is what it will be like one day and how glorious that will be. All of, the, it's amazing, all of them will be this way, where, where you can just sit in and say, oh, that's why we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want to have no more inordinate or immoderate setting of my desires on anything else. Oh, how destructive it is, how terrible it is. It never works out well. But there will be a day when that is true. I love that. Thank you for doing that. So good. I'm gonna keep um, coming, going through these. We have just a minute or two left. Vain credulity, unbelief, heresy, misbelief, distrust, despair, incorrigibleness, and insensibleness under judgments, hardness of heart, pride, presumption, carnal security, tempting of God. Where was it? There was a word. I don't think it was in this one. Oh, it's coming up. Carnal delights and joys. <laughs> That's a big category. This makes, you know, the... Uh, you can take this to a level where uh, Puritanism, you know, that, that definition is, uh, Puritanism is the sneaking suspicion that someone somewhere is having fun. <laughs> That's not true Puritanism, but you can see why somebody might say that, right? Delights and joys are good, but carnal delights and joys are not good. Delights and joys in God and his gifts that he's given are good, but the carnal, the, the self-centered, the, the me-focused delights and joys are not good. Corrupt, blind, and indiscreet zeal. Indiscreet, here's this old archaic usage of it. Without discernment or sound judgment. So a a zeal without discernment, a a passion that has no real understanding of what it's passionate about, but a passion for passion's sake. Corrupt or blind and indiscreet zeal. Lukewarmness and deadness in the things of God. Keep going. Estranging ourselves and, well, I'm just gonna hit the... um, I hit the, the bold ones. Uh, worshiping, this is the second one, praying or giving any religious worship to saints, angels, any other creatures. Uh, compacts, consults, uh, consulting with the devil. Um, hearkening to his suggestions. Uh, I'll jump to the bottom one. Ascribing the praise of any, uh, of any good we either are, have, or can do to fortune, idols, ourselves, or any other creature. Ascribing praise of any good we either are, have, or can do to fortune, idols, ourselves, or any other creature, right? That, and that's pride. Um, that's arrogance. It's saying, look how great I am. I can do it without recognizing it's God who's enabled, who's given us the grace, given us the ability, given us the gifts. Um, we must, first and foremost, this is about looking to the creator and the redeemer and worshiping and honoring him. And this is the baseline for the rest of them all. If we're off here, we're going to get all of the commandments off. We're never going to truly obey God because all true obedience to God begins here, trusting and faith in this God. And then we are, then we can move to the others. Uh, final comments here. So I hope we come to this 
two things. One, looking to Christ, realizing we're not earning our salvation, but Christ has done this on our behalf. But then two, with the real desire, how can I glorify God? And this is a wonderful blueprint to help us think very practically. And, you know, obviously we just, we just blew through this. Go home, look at the larger catechism, very practically meditate, consider my life, look at God's word. And you can look at all the footnotes and see how all this derives straight from God's word. Um, but how can I conform my life to that of my Savior? I hope this will be a good and edifying practice for us all. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Gracious Lord, this is overwhelming to consider how sinful we are, how we have so far to go in this road of being made holy and being more like Christ. So I pray that you would humble us, but also I pray that you would give us hope. Hope not that we are good or great or can achieve more on our own, but hope that we will receive everything we need for life and godliness. And of course, assure us of the great hope we have in Christ. We will look forward to that day where we are made perfect in holiness and righteousness. And all of these descriptions will be true of us and all of your people forever. Oh, what a glorious day that will be as we rejoice in your presence forever. Prepare us for that day. And in this life, may you strengthen us to be more like Christ every day. In his name we pray, amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.com.